it is always a privilege and a joy to be able to share something from God's word with God's people. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to our God. Amen. Let's just pray together. Father, as we delve into your word, we pray that truly you would speak to our hearts, that we may go from here knowing that we have seen Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Whenever I had the privilege over the last few times of preaching from this pulpit, we've looked at the life of Nehemiah. And I'd love you to turn with me again to Nehemiah, to chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3. Just to recap, we discovered some basic principles for what Alan Redpath calls victorious Christian service. But I think the same would apply almost in any type of service, the principles contained in God's Word. In chapter 1, we, we read how the, the project, if you like, or the problem was enunciated right at the beginning, and then Nehemiah, unlike me, I would get in there and have my action plan ready. No, Nehemiah turns to God in prayer. And that's the fundamental principle in any sphere of service. I've gone over that prayer a number of times. And you know what I find interesting? Here's Nehemiah. He's in exile, far away from his homeland. He's a slave. The people of Israel have been scattered all over. The city is lying in ruins. And Nehemiah prays to the God of the covenant. God had given Abraham a covenant to say Israel would become a mighty nation, would be a blessing to other nations. And here it's lying in tatters that Nehemiah prays to the God of the covenant. Oh, that we would remember when we pray. God has made promises to you and me. God has promised us that he will never leave us nor forsake us, but will be with us to the very end. God himself, through Jesus Christ, says, in my Father's house there are many rooms, and I am going to prepare a place for you. We have an eternal destiny. So when the woes of life come, and my brother and sister, they do come, ask me, we have an eternal destiny, and we pray to the God of the covenant. In chapter 2, we discovered some more principles. We discovered that you, you wait for God's timing. It took four months, remember? Four months from the time that Nehemiah heard about the disaster in Jerusalem. It took four months before he was privileged to be able to speak to the king. And we learned that, that time that when you wait for God, do what waiters do. Serve. Nehemiah continued to serve the king, waiting for the opportunity. But I also believe that in that time of waiting, he prayed, he planned, and he prepared. He knew the problem, he knew the issue, and so he planned in advance. And he prepared himself, as we've been doing Sunday by Sunday, 
in the Bible hour. Go and have a look at the board and look at the horse and the cart. That's what we've been doing, planning, preparing, waiting, so that when the time comes, we will be ready. The second principle we learned was pray and ask. Do you remember when the king said to Nehemiah, Nehemiah, why are you so downcast? We read Nehemiah, pray to the Lord in heaven. That was an Instagram prayer. That was a quick prayer. But it was backed up by four months of solid prayer. And this is why we have corporate prayer. This is why we meet on the first Saturday of each month. So that we are soaked in prayer. Comes the moment. We don't have to go into long, lengthy prayers. We say, Lord, here's my issue. But it's backed up by all the prayer beforehand. And then dare to believe that God has far more in store for you than what we are asking. Go and read Nehemiah chapter 2 and you see that Nehemiah asked for permission to go back to Jerusalem to sort out the graves of his ancestors. And what did the king do? Gave him the royal authority, made him governor of that whole area, gave him letters of commendation. God is able to do far more than what you and I can even think or imagine. We also learned in Nehemiah chapter 2 that Nehemiah took time out to research the issue. Remember, he went for three days to Jerusalem, told nobody he was there, and then walked with his donkey round the wall to check on the resources that were there, to check on the problems that were there, so that when he was ready to launch, he was ready. And again, I believe that's what we are doing. We are looking at what gifts are available in the church. We look at how we slot in, so that when the time comes, and is going to come, we are ready. We learned another principle in chapter 2. That Nehemiah was not going to do this job on his own. We cannot expect the pastor and the elder to do the job. Nehemiah went to the people and said, let us build. Let us repair. It was a body ministry. We've got that in place at Calvary. My dear friends, we're heading towards chapter 3. The last principle was... That is all about the honor and glory of God. Jerusalem is lying in waste. And Nehemiah said, we are a disgrace. The glory of God is at stake. And overriding anything we do in the church of Jesus Christ must be, is it for the glory of God? Now, hallelujah. We come to chapter 3. It's building time. It's happening. Man, it's exciting. When you look at chapter 3, the guys were all there. When Nehemiah said, let us build, they said, are we going to build? And they got up. The priests, the Levites, the ordinary folks, the housewives, everyone was involved. We read in chapter 2, verse 18. And so they began this good work. And I wonder if you can see the people there. I wonder if you can see the excitement on, on their faces. Alan Redpath says, 
These were the wall-to-wall workers. The wall-to-wall workers. And, and uh, I think Alan Wiebser, one of the other commentators, says, yeah, we're warm-hearted and enthusiastic people. Can that be true of Calvary? Are we waiting for, for God's marching orders and, and will we be found excited and, and willing to go? I must just share with you, I haven't got that in the notes, but you know, the little Ladysmith Baptist Church, we were 13 members, three men, 10 women. And Timmy Funnel, who ministered here later on, got us mobilized to build a church. Now, I've got 10 thumbs. I know nothing about bricklaying. I know nothing about carpentry. But boy, can I mix cement. Okay. Yeah, what was the most exciting part? The Presbyterian young people, the Methodist young people, some full gospel guys. Saturday, they knew Baptist church worked hard. There was an enthusiasm. And we built that church to the glory of God, still standing to this day. Now, here's the interesting thing. Nehemiah was not going to build the wall. He was going to repair the wall. You see, building the wall is one thing. But here was a wall that was lying in despair, rubble everywhere, and Nehemiah said, let's go and repair. You see, we don't have to reinvent or, or invent new things. We don't have to invent gimmicks. It's a lovely hymn, Tell Me the Old, Old Story. It's simple, of Jesus and His love. You don't have to tell me anything more. We make life so difficult for ourselves. I shared with the Bible study group the other Wednesday. The Bible is so simple that you need somebody intelligent to help you misunderstand it. The Bible tells you how to be born again. The same Terry Funnel was asked one day, show me Jesus. And Terry took his Bible and said, meet Jesus. Let's keep it simple. Let's get on with the job. There are four approaches to the work at hand. I'm going to share three with you today, and on another occasion I'll do the last one. But the first thing we need to discover is what is the purpose of the work? Now, I've been in the Bank and Building Society for many years, and one of my jobs later on was the granting of mortgage loans. And the first question that I would ask somebody who applied for a loan, why do you want the loan? What are you going to do with it? Are you going to build a house? Are you going to repair the house? Are you going to add extensions to it? Are you going to modify it? If they said to me, no, we're going to use it for gambling, then that loan was declined there and then. We had to know what was the purpose of the loan. And I want to take you with me to the wall in Jerusalem. And let's ask some of the people. And the first guy we meet on, on, on site there, we say to him, excuse me, what's this all about? And he says, well, you see, the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, the gates have been burnt, and the people are in distress, and we are in trouble. That's why I'm here. We go to another guy and we say, excuse me, 
what's, what's this all about? He says, haven't you heard? Nehemiah received a report that the walls are broken down, that the gates have been burnt, and that the people are under stress. And he's urging us to rebuild. That's why we're here. Now listen to friends. It was not about building the wall. It was the glory of God that was at stake. Turn with me to Psalm 48, verses 1 to 3. Psalm 48. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise in the city of our God, the holy mountain. Its beauty, its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth. Like the utmost heights of Zaphon is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. God is in her citadels. He has shown himself in her fortress. It reminds me of that beautiful hymn, Glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion, city of our God. He whose word cannot be broken, formed you for his own abode. But listen, Jerusalem was lying in tatters. It was disgusting. The temple was exposed. And the people would walk past and say, So where is this God of yours? This holy city. This great, this great king is coming to live here. Where, what's this all about? And isn't that happening to this very day? People mock you and I for coming to church. People wipe us off the face of the earth. My own dear brother said to me this week, he was lying in bed in hospital, and I said to him, my brother, you're standing at the dawn of eternity. And he said, just leave me alone. I don't believe it. I want nothing to do with it. Oh, my heart bleeds. Eternity is coming. He laughs at me about my religious experience. Where is your God now, the people said, as they walked past the ruins of Jerusalem? And the one commentator says, whether we like it or not, we are living in a day of reproach. You are weirdos, according to the world. We are mocked for our belief. The things of God are simply ignored, trampled underfoot. The church is lying in ruins. And it's subtle. Oh, it's so clever. Tell me, what is the first day of the week? Sunday? Not on my calendar. My calendar shows the first day of the week is Monday. And we just accept it quietly. And that's why we read in, two, in, in Solomon chapter 2 and verse 15, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. We can handle the big guys that mock us, but it's those, those little snide remarks. It's the, those little issues. I think I've shared with you that in, in, in our day, shops used to close 1 o'clock on a Saturday, and the Saturday afternoon was your sports day, and Sunday was the Lord's Day. 
And I'll never forget, the news came through that we were going to have the movie theaters open on a Sunday. And we in our church said, not over our, it'll be over our dead bodies. It's not going to happen. Sunday is the Lord's Day. And so we rallied together all the churches in Pine Town. We got hold of the member of parliament who was a Christian. And we said, we're going to fight this tooth and nail. Our minister said, so what's the alternative? So we organized the town hall. Celebration, Sunday evenings. All the churches closed their doors and we met in the town hall. Back to capacity. It lasted three weeks. And you know why it broke down? Because we organized a massive communion service. Oh dear. Do we use wine or do we use uh, grape juice? Do we come to the front and kneel? Do we sit at the table? And it collapsed over, over communion. And the movie theaters won the day. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. What is it that you are doing? Is it bringing glory to God? Do you remember in the, it was referred to the charismatic renewal. You used to wear those armbands. And we had the initials on there, WWJD. What would Jesus do? Man, we were proud of this. What would Jesus do in our day and in our generation? What you are speaks so loud that the world can't hear what you're saying. So the question here at Calvary is this. Is that which we are doing bringing glory to God? Is that what we want to do? Is it going to bring glory to God? Anything else is going to be a failure because God will bless what brings honor and glory to Him. That's the purpose of our work. The second question that I ask when a loan application comes my way and it's going to be a building loan, I want to see the architect's plans. I want to see the schedule of finishes. I want the name and address of the builder and builder's references. Alan Redpath calls this the pattern of work. What's our plan? Now, it was D.L. Moody. I'm sure you've heard of D.L. Moody, a well-known evangelist of years combined, who said, a great many people have got a false idea about the church. They've got an idea that the church is a place to rest in. To get a nice furnished cushion pew, contribute to charities, listen to the minister, and do their share to keep the church out of bankruptcy. The idea of work, actual work, never enters their mind. Now I'm sure this is not a picture of Calvary. I'm sure it's not a picture of you and me. Or is it? May I suggest that if we know what the purpose is, we need to work out our plan. Now, in my banking career, we used to use, and I'm sure you've done it too, the SWOT analysis. Strength, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. So if 
We identify our strengths. Remember this. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's my strength. I'm reminded of my young friend, Donald Holgate. He's gone to be with the Lord now. Don Holgate had, was converted when he was in Standard 9. Played cricket for the first Ladysmith's high school team. And they were getting thrashed. And Donald Holgate, in his naivety, innocence, but in his great faith in his God, said to the headmaster, shall I bat out the day and play for a draw? And the headmaster said, can you do that? And Donald said, I can do all things through Christ. And he spent the rest of the day batting up and was a draw. But that's where our strength lies. It lies in the fact that God gives us the strength. The weaknesses, oh, we've got plenty of weaknesses. But what did Paul say? When I'm weak, then I am strong. I served under a minister who was considered weak. And if you ever go to Pine Town and ask them, where's the presbytery of Pine Town? They'll tell you that was Doug Miller. He was weak, but he had the knowledge that God was in control. That God said, in your weakness, I'm going to make you strong. The opportunities. Jesus said, look at the harvest. Look at the fields. The harvest is ready. Look at the mirth, my friends. It's ready for the harvest. And you and I? What are the threats? Oh, there are plenty of threats. But remember when Pastor Brian preached on, in 1 Samuel? When David stood before Goliath? What were his words? The battle is the Lord's. We are not fighting something that we can do. And the battle belongs to the Lord. And I want to suggest that in our plan of action, we need to first of all acknowledge and identify the leadership. Same as in my building society loan application, I needed to know who the builder was. I needed to know that this builder was on site. I needed to know that the guys who were laying the bricks were watching the builder, the master builder. Now, Paul the Apostle writes to the Corinthians, chapter 11, verse 1. He says this, and listen to him. Follow my example as I follow Christ. Follow my example as I follow Christ. He dared to challenge the congregation of, of Corinth. Say, just follow me, because I'm following Christ. And I've got scribbled in my Bible, to be a leader, one must first be a follower. Mm. You and I cannot lead unless we are following Christ. Paul says to the Galatian church, I plead with you, my brothers and sisters, become like me. To the Philippians he writes, join with others in following my example. He goes on and he says, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Was he being presumptuous? Paul writes to the Thessalonians and says, you become, became imitators of us and of the Lord. 
I look at Pastor Brian, I look at my brother Peter, Elder, and I look at you and me. Are we following them because they are following Christ? Praise God for our leadership. But every person that has a leadership role in this church, be it a Sunday school teacher, be it a Bible study leader, no matter who or what position you hold, can people say, I'm following him because he follows Christ. Oh, my brother and sister, this has challenged me like you cannot believe. I have the privilege of teaching on a Wednesday morning here in the hall. Are they following me because I've got the gift of the gab? Or because I tell lovely stories about my past? Or can they see Jesus Christ in me? That's my prayer. Why do you think in this pulpit there's a sign that says, Sir, we would see Jesus. Whoever preaches from this pulpit must be a follower of Jesus Christ so that you and I can follow him because he follows Christ. We read in the scriptures that in record time, the wall in Jerusalem was built and rebuilt. 53 days. The people were amazed. Why? Because they watched Nehemiah. And Nehemiah didn't sit in a glossy office. Nehemiah was on site. He worked alongside them. They worked their plan because they followed Nehemiah who followed the Lord. Oh, my brothers and sisters, if you are in a leadership role, follow Christ. Follow Him. The second thing in our action plan, we need to identify the resources that are available. Same with the building loan application. I needed to know how they were going to buy the bricks. They always had to put up their money first. How are they going to get the resources? Can this builder perform the duties? You may recall that I highlighted in the last service that amongst the rubble lying around the wall, there was enough material that could rebuild the wall. Go and read the Nehemiah when he asks the king for the resources. He never asked for cement. He never asked for building blocks. He asked for a letter of credit to get wood from Lebanon because the rubble was there. All that had to happen is someone had to pick up and put it back into the wall. And I suggested then that in this congregation there are gifts and talents that are available for God to use. My question is, is it lying on the ground as rubble or is it being put back into the wall? In our case, we put it back in the cart. My brother, my sister, I, I had the audacity to say, to write to Pastor Brian, to say, you know, at my ripe old age, and he said, my brother, your work is not yet done. It's not complete. I want to challenge you. Your job is not yet done. Your talent, your gift, where is it? Is it part of the wall bringing glory to God? Or is it lying as rubble next to the wall? 
I also suggested to you that the wood that was got from Lebanon to me speaks of the additions that have come in. And I don't know about you, but I think it was last Sunday when we had this huge team of young people playing them instruments and singing. I couldn't help but say, thank you, Lord, for the wood of Lebanon. And you young people who have come in, bless you for bringing new life. That wood was necessary in the wall. It was okay to rebuild the wall and put all the talents together, but the gate was still burnt to pieces. But when the wood came in, they could close the gate, and the glory of God was restored. And so you and I each have a part to play. I might have to rebuild. You might be part of the wood. In Youth for Christ, we had a motto, which said, geared to the times, anchored to the rock. And it simply meant, for us oldies, you never had a piano in the church, and God forbid you brought a guitar into the church. You had the organ. That was how you worshipped God. And, and, and Youth for Christ had, had, we used to come into the churches with our guitars and, and our squash boxes much to the horror of some of the older folk. But they were geared to the times, but anchored to the rock. And thank God that is what's happening here. I think I shared last time, sorry, the music that we sing, the new tunes. Not my style. I'm a hymn and a thing. Spell and I spent this afternoon, we had no power, so we went through the Alexander hymnal. Man, wasn't it great. Singing all the old lacquer hymns. But I've had to learn that these are new times. But have you ever looked at those words? Anchored, anchored to the rock. Now I come to the third P, the people at work. If you read through Nehemiah chapter 3, you get a host of names and places. Everyone was doing their little bit. And as Alan Redpath pointed out, no one was envious of the job that somebody else was doing. Each one just got on and did their job. People of all sorts. There were priests. There were perfumers. There were goldsmiths. There were merchants. A variety of people, but with one common purpose, to restore the wall around Jerusalem so that the glory of God would once again be evident to the nations. I don't care who or what you are here this, morning, this evening. You and I each have a job to do. If Pastor Brian can tell me that my job isn't done, then I have the authority to say to you, your job hasn't even begun. <laughs> the Bible is very quick to point out. You know, the Bible doesn't mince words. When you read Nehemiah, you also read about the shirkers. Those who said, oh, this is not for me. This, this, this is too much like hard work. You know what the result was? Some guys took double shifts, but the job was going to get done. Now, if you look at Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 28, 29, 30, and 31, there's a phrase there that I want to pick on. 
It said that so-and-so built over against his house or over against his living quarters or over against his apartment. Now, that's not very spiritual, is it? Or is it? Believe me this. Our work for Jesus Christ as a congregation begins in your home. Because what you are at home is what is reflected here. As a, as a young lay preacher, I used to often say, if you want to know who I am, go and ask my wife and my children. That's the real me. Am I impatient? Am I unkind? Do I speak harsh words? And then stand in the pulpit and preach a lovely sermon? What I am at home is what will make the strength of the church. Think of the Apostle Paul. Young he is, and, and we're reading through Acts, so we, we're picking this up. He's converted. He comes to Jerusalem. The disciples treat him wearily at first. The people want to kill him. So we read in, 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 in Acts that in Acts chapter 9, verse 30, Paul was sent back to Tarsus. Hey, hey, hold on a moment. It was in Tarsus that he said, I'm going to get rid of these Christians. He was a firebrand. And Tarsus wasn't that big a city. So people would have known, Paul, this firebrand, this, this young clever guy, he's going to sort out these Christians once and for all. And now he comes back. And he's a changed person. Now scholars tell us that it would have been about 10 years that he spent in Tarsus. Hey, that's a long time to wait for God to move you, hey? 10 years. Now, Tarsus, interestingly enough, had an eye institute, a medical hospital. And we know from, from uh, scholars again telling us, Paul had an eyesight problem. Who studied in Tarsus? Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke came from Antioch. You, you want to see how these puzzles fit together? Luke came from Antioch. Probably studied at Tarsus. Would have known all about this man, uh, uh, Paul. Might even have been part of the medical team that looked after Paul or tried to minister to him. And Luke is in Antioch. And what happens? The first time we hear the word Christian is in Antioch. Barnabas goes with Mark to minister to the folk at Antioch. And he goes and he fetches Paul and brings him to Antioch. Now you ask yourself, 10 years, was this all a waste of time? Well, we've got Luke's gospel and we've got the Acts of the Apostle, thanks to Luke, who probably was converted under the ministry of Paul and served with him for years and years. You have no idea what can happen in the home when mom and dad pray with their children. 
And so I want to introduce you to three or four people, maybe four, of the people who were building and rebuilding. In verse 10, we read, Jediah, son of Harama, made repairs. Now, this name, Jediah, means invoker of God. To invoke means to cite or to appeal, to, to, to call in, to supplicate, to entreat, to solicit. Jediah was a man of prayer. He was a man who knew how to pray, a man whose life was founded upon prayer. And yet he had to repair his prayer life. That's why we studied that little booklet, Keeping Our Appointment with God. Because I am sure that all of us come short of being invokers, real invokers of God. We need men and women who are prayer warriors. And as someone pointed out, the popularity of the church is evidenced by the attendance at the morning service. The popularity of the preacher by the attendance at the evening service. The popularity of God at the prayer meeting. Maybe that's a challenge for you and for me. I know it's not easy always on the first Saturday of the month. Hey, come on. It's one Saturday in the month that we ask you to come and pray for the church. This church was founded upon prayer, my friends. Every Saturday evening, yeah, in the front of the church, was prayer meeting time. And someone has said that our accurate measure of our relationship with God and our understanding of ourselves may be assessed by our prayer life. Isn't that a challenge? Spiritual growth is impossible apart from the practice of prayer. It was Greg, uh, who at one of the sessions that we had talking about prayer, he said, prayer is me talking to God. Now, if I have a relationship with somebody, surely I want to talk to that person? Can you imagine husband and wife not talking to each other? It just doesn't happen. We talk to one another. God talks to us through His Word, the preaching of His Word, but we talk to God, and we can tell Him our heart's hidden secrets. We can tell Him how we feel. We can tell Him our needs. I ask you, does the wall of prayer in your home life need repairing? Does the prayer life of your church need repairing? Alan Vipson, his commentary says, begin today to be an invoker of God. Let's hang on along the wall. Verse 23. We read that Benjamin and Hasib were also rebuilding over against their house. Now, Benjamin's name means the son of my right hand, or as Adam Redpath puts it, the one who's there to protect me. And the question we need to ask ourselves, who protects you? 
who protects me. I'm not talking about security gates. I'm not talking about alarms. I'm not talking about insurance policies. Who is protecting me from the evil one, number one? But more importantly, and I learned this here in this particular congregation, from the wrath of God. There's going to come a time, whether we admit it, whether we like it, and people will tell you it's not true because God is a God of love, and God is a God of love. That's why he sent Jesus Christ to make it possible for you and I to have that relationship with God. But there's going to come a time when we will stand before God, and if we haven't got the protection of Jesus Christ, we are damned for all eternity. A message we don't like to hear, but it's true. So I need to ask you, how secure, how secure is your marriage? How secure is your relationship with your children, with your grandchildren? Is Christ the head of your home? Not the unseen guest, but the unseen host. Are we protecting each other here in the family? Would I be prepared to lay down my life for you? Jesus did. And if I'm following Jesus, isn't that what he calls for from me? Deuteronomy chapter 33 verse 12, we read, speaking of Benjamin, the beloved of the Lord shall dwell in safety by him, and the Lord shall cover him all day long. And he shall dwell between his shoulders. Oh, what a God we serve. I am safe and secure because he covers me. That doesn't mean I don't feel the pain and the agony and the disappointments of life. But I'm assured of this one thing, that I can rest between the shoulders of my God. Now, there are ruined homes all around us. Disintegrated families. Churches split over trivial issues. And I pray that this is not the issue here at Calvary. There's a song that we used to sing. Eternity, eternity. Where will you spend eternity? Maybe you and I need to take another look and see, are we covered by Jesus Christ? And just remember, we are talking about people who were rebuilding over against their house. Hey, they weren't involved in the mission field. They weren't involved in huge big campaigns. They were fixing their home lives. And when the home life is sorted out, the church becomes stronger because we are the family of God. In verse 29, we read of a guy by the name of Zadok. And he was the son of Imar. Now, Zadok means integrity. And the dictionary defines integrity as follows. The quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. The broken wall of integrity ruins not only your personal testimony, but it's a blight upon the whole witness of the church. How honest are we with each other? When you ask me, Jan, how are you? 
put a smile on my face. I said, I'm fine, thank you. Really? Have I enough faith in you that I can be honest with you? I've shared with you before, and allow me to share it again. I had a business, a property management business, and it went under. We lost literally everything we owned. And when you're 65, that's a bad time to start all over. And we were singing in our little church up the road, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Lovely hymn, lovely song. And I can remember standing in the pew. I couldn't sing that. Because I didn't know what tomorrow was going to hold. And I can remember, very un-Presbyterian, I got up out of my seat, and I walked to the front, and I said, sorry, folk, but I can't sing this because I'm desperate. This is what's happening to me. Mm. Do you know how many people came to me and said, gee, Jan, thanks for being honest. We've experienced the same. We don't know how to handle this. One youngster phoned me the next morning. He said, I've got a little flat above my mom and dad's garage. I'm going to move out. You guys can move in there. So forgive me when I'm honest, when you ask me, how's it going? I will tell you how it's going. Because I know that you will pray for me. Talking about prayer, there's one little old lady in this congregation, every Sunday morning, forgive me, I'm getting emotional. Every Sunday morning, she comes to me, just taps me on the shoulder, and says, Jan, I pray for you every morning, the situation that you're in. You know what that means to me? There's a chorus that we used to sing. What you are speaks so loud that the world can't hear what you say. Not listening to your talk, they're judging from your actions every day. What you are, what you are speaks volumes. Forget about all the talk. Who and what you are. And the question for me, to you, is dare we be honest with each other? When we share with each other deep personal issues, will it be confidential between the two of us? But now notice, he was the son of Emma. And Emma means talkative. Ellen Redpath poses the question, do you know of any weapon that does more harm in a home and the church than the tongue? James writes the same thing and he says, no man can tame the tongue. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse men. Out of the mouth come praise and cursing. personal example. I used to be on the road for the building society in, in, in Natal, and I'd be driving along, singing hymns, going up to Impongani, and lovely, the sea on the side, uh, praising God, and then a taxi would swear in front of me. And I leave it to your imagination what I said. Out of the same tongue, we praise God, and we curse. And Paul, uh, James says, this should not be. 
the son or the father talkative. The last person that I want to share with you is found in verse 30. Michelin. Now, interesting enough, Michelin was not repairing over against his house. No, we read that he was repairing opposite his living quarters. The King James Version says an apartment. Shame. He didn't have a house. He had an apartment. Maybe a one-bedroom flat. Maybe just sharing a room with somebody. He probably thought that he was totally insignificant. Come on, everybody was appearing their, their huge wall with, with all their gifts. And, and when you, you and I look at the gifts in, in Scripture, and, and we say, but I haven't got any of those. Oh, woe is me. I, I, I'm just... I'm just a nobody. Here's the truth. If Michelin had not repaired his little apartment, the wall would not be completed and the enemy could get in. That little section of the wall was as important as the priests who built on either side of the gate. That little apartment was crucial. But the name means devoted to the Lord. Yeah, was a guy. He was devoted to his God. And he said, okay, I'm going to repair my little section because I'm doing it for God. Again, the Bible study, I shared the story of a huge, big symphonic orchestra huge audience, lovely music, but in the middle of this music was one little item. You know those little triangles you have? In it? The little sticky, and you just ding. Yoko, you know what I'm talking about, huh? Little ding. And this guy thought, you know what? Nobody, nobody's going to miss that. All these orchestra, drums, uh, flutes, and all I have to do this. So he did not ding his little triangle. The conductor threw the baton down and said, you have just spoiled the entire piece. We can't all be preachers. We can't all be teachers. We can't all be Sunday school teachers. We can't all be musicians. But you have a part to play. I only learned this evening who looks after our gardens. Because I wanted to put it this way. Whenever Sparrow and I come to church, we remark on the beauty of the gardens. This person just does it. Yes, she loves gardening. That's her gift. It's not blossomed out in, in, in bulletins. Her name doesn't appear on overhead projectors. But if she didn't lose uh, the garden, it would be a disgrace to the people riding past. And the same goes for the maintenance of the church. When somebody just simply goes ahead and fixes what needs to be fixed, it's to the glory of God. Sorry, I always refer to Pine Town, but those were my glory days. We had a guy in our church, Albert Burnett, Toots. 
Toots was, he couldn't sing two notes together. I don't think he knew how to pray properly. But if there was a broken pew somewhere or a window smashed somewhere, old Toots would just quietly get on and fix it. He never asked for uh, glory. He never let it be known that it was him. But we as elders just knew, there's a window that needs appearing. When you look again, it was fixed. Happens in this church. I believe the blind in the kitchen is a perfect example. It needed doing up. Looked again, there it was. My brother, my sister, you are important in God's economy. And it doesn't matter if you're old, young, a young Christian, just starting your married life. God has a plan and a purpose for you and for me. And if you don't repair your little section, the glory of God is at stake. And so we find the rulers and the priests were involved. We find men and women involved. We find the professional craftsmen at work. Even people from outside the city came and worked. But there are some people that are not mentioned. Not everyone would have been active on the wall. What about the stay-at-home moms looking after the little ones? What about uh, the butcher? What about the baker? Certain jobs had to be done outside of the wall to make sure that those working on the wall were being fed. And I thank God for backup teams. I don't want to embarrass my wife here this evening. She was my backup team. We had two little ones. While I spent many a Sunday at various churches preaching. Sparrow stayed at home to look after the little ones. But I was aware that she was praying for me. I was aware of people in our church group upholding me. As I am here at Calvary. Thank God for prayer warriors who uphold. And I want to urge you. Pray for Pastor, pray for Peter, pray for Cliff, pray for Stefan, pray for Tashes, pray for, pray for Craig. And please just include me as well. As we have the privilege of presenting God's word. And that there are people out there who are looking after their little ones so that others can do the job. So without a back, backup team, there is no work. So my question is this. Are you part of the rebuilding team? Are you part of the backup team? Now, if you go back to Genesis, uh, to Nehemiah 2, we read that the people said, let us rebuild. By the time we come to chapter 6, the wall was completed in 53 days because the team and the backup team had worked together. I wonder where you are this evening. Part of the team? or on the outside, looking in. Amen. Amen.